Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church. I'm so excited to be with you today. The title of our message today is I'm Not Fine. A brand new series that we're going to be jumping into for the next couple of weeks. I'm Not Fine. Um, this, this idea came to me. We had a, a family in our church, specifically a mom in our church, that came and wanted to talk with Jennifer and I. And, I, and she really was, was just wanting to talk to us about some things that were going on in her life and her family, and specifically the pressures of this time and the pressures of this, this season that we're living in, uh, being a mom with young kids and a husband that's working a ton, and, and we're in the middle of this crazy uh, crisis and chaos and our whole world is turned upside down. It's just an absolutely nutty time to be alive. And, and she, in this moment, came and she was very open. She was very transparent about what she was dealing with as a mom. And it really struck me and it, and it spoke to me because so many times we look at people and when we interact with people, we're like, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm good. Oh, it's all good. Fine. And, and, and we as humans put a mask on and we don't want people to see what's really going on. And, and now we're in a culture where we're being told to put a mask on. We're, we're being told to, to stay away. Come on, guys. Can I tell you? And I'm not trying to make a political statement at all. We got to do what we got to do. Just get through this flipping season for crying out loud. My God. But if you think I'm wearing a mask for the rest of my life, I will burn this place down before I wear a mask for the rest of my life. For crying out loud. Oh my God. Not doing it. It goes 100% against who I am as a human being and what the mission of my life is as a human being. The mission of my life is to get people to take the mask off and to come together, not put one on and separate. Goes against everything that I am and the message of my life. Is it important to work through this season? Yes. Will I comply right now? Yes. For now. We'll get through this, but I'm not gonna live the rest of my life like Darth Vader. Not doing it, not doing it. I would rather go to heaven, okay? Just give it to me and let me go be with Jesus than have to live like Darth Vader for the rest of my life. Crying out loud, all right, praise Jesus, let's move on. But it was so powerful to me to have someone in our congregation have the courage and the guts to come and talk to me and ask me very straightforward questions, very real questions about where I was at and where our focus of the church was at and what we were going to be doing in the future because this person was being real and open and honest and transparent about not being fine. Guys, can I tell you how unqualified I feel to, to teach a message on how to get fine? Because I'm driving last night and we're going to dinner and in my own head, I'm having a make-believe uh, argument with someone from my past that I'm having an imaginary thing. I'm not crazy, but I feel that way sometimes. You ever have imaginary conversations? with people that you're imagining a confrontation of, of running into someone in public and then all of a sudden they're saying this and you're saying that and I'm driving down the road getting angry and it's an imagination. 
I'm not fine. I'm not. I'm not fine. Guys, I still deal with stuff. And as nutty as this season of coronavirus and pandemic and all of the stuff that's gone on in 2020, I'm still working through stuff from 2019 and 2018 and 2017. I got friends, some of you sitting in this room, you ain't been fine for the last decade we've been hanging out. We've been going through stuff together, right? But we live in a world that expects us just to put on our mask and, 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 and sit, you know, sit still and look pretty and just do whatever and, and just work through and walk through and put up. And come on, guys, if we keep pressing down and forcing down feelings and pushing down and hiding emotions, you're going to explode at some point. We have to be willing to admit sometimes, I'm not fine. When I was growing up in the 80s, fine is what we called a good-looking girl. She's fine. When I saw Jennifer in the 90s, the girl's fine. That's what we used to say back then. I don't know what they say now. It's like a code language now. I don't even know what they say. Uh, but, but that's what we used to use. But, but that whole idea, I'm, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm okay. Come on, guys. We, we've got to be open. We've got to be honest because we really are, truly. We're in the middle of unprecedented times. We don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it, it seems like every single day it can't get worse. And, and you're kind of hoping that maybe we can just get through November and maybe an election will happen and things will settle down. But I kind of doubt it. I, I, I'm kind of thinking it might get worse again. It just seems to, you know, it's the whole, I'm glad this isn't made out of wood because I got nothing to knock on. I can't knock on. I mean, it, it just seems like there's no expiration date for the crazy that we're living in. And I would love things to get back to normal. I would love things just to get back to whatever. But I can't control that. And I can't predict that. And the only thing that I can do is work on me with him. And me with my family. And me with my relationship with my friends and my church and whatever. I can work on me. I can't fix this world. I can't fix this culture. Did you know that Jesus did not bring a, a solution to the Jewish culture? Did you know he didn't come to bring a solution to the Roman culture? Jesus came and he brought kingdom culture. He brought kingdom culture that the people that would follow him would rise above what was going on in their little world. They would rise above the, the, the racism. They would rise above the oppression. They would rise above the injustice and they would live for eternity and for the kingdom instead of living for the little world and the little right now they were in and were so caught up with right now and what's going on and were so wrapped up and everything that's happening in our world that we're not focused on the kingdom and we're not focused on salvation and we're too busy arguing with people about this or that and we don't care about their salvation. When are the people of God going to care more about eternity than they do about the temporary? I mean, our Bible was written by a guy Paul, 60% of our New Testament, was written by a guy that spent the most profitable days of his life in jail, wrongfully accused, and being looked down upon because of his race. 
and wrote the most powerful words that have ever existed. And wasn't trying to get out of injustice. Wasn't trying to get out of jail. Wasn't trying to get out of mistreatment actually began to say things like this. I've had plenty and I've had nothing. I've been warm and I've been cold. I've had food and I've been hungry. And I've learned that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When are we going to get over the temporary and focus on the eternal? I'm not fine. Frustrated, guys. I'm frustrated. Our world stinks right now. It's good to be back in Texas, though. It's a little more sane. <laughs> Slightly more sane than other parts of the country. Amen. I was about to drive through New Mexico, and a friend of mine in Colorado said, hey, when you're driving through New Mexico, you might want to wear your mask while you're driving in your car. Because they've been, the cops are pulling people over for not wearing their masks while they're driving in their car. I'm going to flip something over, crying out loud. I'm like, well, when they pull me over for not wearing my mask in my car, I can explain about all the handguns that are in my car, too. We'll have a good conversation. I'm from Texas. My car is an extension of my domicile. I know my rights. I don't know what my rights are in New Mexico, but I was willing to roll the dice, all right? <laughs> oh. I want to tell you a story. Um, and I'm going to tell you two stories today. One story is going to be out of uh, King Saul's life. The other story is going to be out of King David's life. Very uh, different stories. Both of them were in a time of crisis. Both of them were in a time where things were, um, were, they were under significant pressure. And the first story, King Saul, he's in a place where he's under pressure because the Philistine army had invaded and they were literally overwhelming the Israeli people. And King Saul was in a place where he was needing God to intervene, but he became impatient. Have you ever needed God to come through for you, but God's clock was off? I don't understand why God has such a hard time with my schedule of when I need things done. I mean, just because he lives outside of time doesn't mean he can't pay attention to my timetables that I need things to happen within. But Saul got frustrated. The prophet Nathan had told him to wait. I'll be there and I'll make an offering and a sacrifice for God to give you favor in the battle. But Saul got frustrated and he decided to step outside of his boundary as king and step into the role of Nathan's role as prophet and he performed the sacrifices himself. Which doesn't sound like that big of a deal, right? I'm, I'm still sacrificing to God. I'm giving an offering to God. I'm making worship to God. But Saul did it out of an impure heart, out of an impure motive. He did it to put the, the attention upon him and what he was doing, take the glory upon himself. He had become very arrogant. And the Bible, God literally says of him, I remember Saul when he was still small in his own eyes and I could use him. 
Guys, one of the most important things that you can do if you want to be used by God is stay small in your own eyes. Don't believe the headlines. The only thing, Jesus said, there's only one that's good, and that's God the Father. I'm only good because he's in me. That's why I don't want people to elevate me. Look, everyone likes to be liked. Everybody likes to be accepted. Everybody likes to have friends. Everybody likes to, to, to be welcomed. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, right? We all like that. But the only thing good about me is what is submitted that Christ can live through me. It's the only thing good about you too. Without Jesus in my life, I'll ruin my family. I'll ruin all of this. It's only, it's only God that's good. And the more we submit to him, stay small in our own eyes, and let him be big in us and through us, we can do really great things. So Nathan shows up and confronts Saul. And Saul makes excuses. He blames the people. He cops an attitude. And, 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 and Nathan says to him what God is saying and corrects him and goes to walk away. And Saul, because he's so full of himself, thinks that he can control the prophet and reaches and grabs a hold of his clothes. And as he does, he rips Nathan's garment. Nathan turns around and says, the same way that you have ripped my garment, God will rip your kingdom from your hands because of his arrogance. Saul wasn't fine. Saul was dealing with demons. Saul was demonically tormented, story after story. He, 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 was, he was riddled with insecurity. He was constantly trying to prove himself and overcome uh, the, the, the voices that were haunting him. But he couldn't be honest. He couldn't be true. He couldn't tell the truth. He was stuck in denial. He was stuck blaming everyone else for his problems. Guys, no one can help someone that doesn't think they need help. As a youth pastor for 12 years, I had parents come to me often to try to have me talk to their kid, and I was open to talk to any kid, but I would be very honest. I said, look, I said, until Johnny hits rock bottom and is ready to change, until he's sick of himself, nobody can help him. I had to hit rock bottom in my life. I've had to hit rock bottom multiple times in my life. I think there's a cycle in our lives uh, of, that we go through and we do really, really well and then and all of a sudden we realize that boom, we're back on and, and the Lord can work with us again and we, and we work through the next level of issues and all that type of thing. I've had to go through some stuff in my life to bring me back to the place of being pliable in God's hands. It's sad to watch someone. I've watched multiple people in my lifetime completely self-destruct. I'm watching someone that I know right now self-destruct their life and blame everyone else. No, no, literally, no personal responsibility. It's everyone else's fault. Literally living in denial. Blaming. I'm not fine. See, it starts, this whole thing starts with the truth. It starts with the truth. People tend to crater in the midst of crisis. When you go through crisis, the tendency is that people crater, they bottom out. 
Some of you may have, in the middle of this, in the midst of this, crazy season we've been in, kids finally going back to school, they've had a five-month summer. I mean, all, all the, the memes and the, and, and the funny videos and jokes of, of, of parents working at home and trying to carry on like responsible, mature conversations and they got a kid crawling over them and putting crayons in their ears. And I mean, it's a wild world that we live in and it's easy to crater. And I'm literally, I, sadly, I've watched people crater in this season. I've also watched people kind of bottom out, shake themselves off and come to themselves and step up and become a new person. It's, it's, it's normal, guys, that when you're under t- tremendous pressure, it's normal to, to at first respond poorly to the pressure because you're human and, and you tend to respond in your flesh, in your, na- in your nature, your human nature. And it's easy to respond the wrong way, but we've got to come to ourselves and wake ourselves up and come back to who we truly are because our identity is not our flesh. Our identity is Jesus Christ. See, one of the biggest problems that we have right now in our world, our current world agenda, is that there's a massive agenda to make people focus on something temporary as their identity. So their whole identity is wrapped up in their sexuality. Their whole identity is wrapped up in their race. Their whole identity is wrapped up in their social structure, their social status, their economics. And and, and the whole picture that we see in scripture is that none of that matters in eternity. Much as I love my wife, the Bible's very clear in heaven, there's no marriage or giving in marriage. Sexuality is something that's for this time. It's not an eternal thing. Race, it's not an eternal thing. Economic strata, not an eternal thing. And we get so caught up. Guys, we're the people of God. If we can't get this right, who can? Our identity is not wrapped up in any of that. Our identity is Jesus Christ. Period. Paul said to live is Christ, to die is gain. We have to rise above the temporary. Does that mean that we don't care about what's going on in our world? Absolutely not. We do care. We're ministers of racial reconciliation, ministers of sexual reconciliation, economic reconciliation, all of those things. Those are the three big divides in Scripture. That's why it says there's no longer Jew nor Greek, no longer male, no female, no longer slave nor free. That's what it says in Scripture because Jesus came to eradicate the three big divides and make us one. That's what he came to do. And we've got to focus on that. Do we still love people? Yes. Do we still embrace people? Yes. Do we still stand up for injustice? Yes. Do we still walk people through? Yes. But the focus is not supposed to be on the temporary. We need to help people come and get the big eternal perspective that Jesus Christ is what we're supposed to focus on. I'm not gonna be a pastor that's afraid to tell the truth. I'm gonna tick people off. People are gonna leave. But I'm gonna tell the truth. I'm gonna risk it. 
because I'm going to stand before God. And the Bible's very clear that in the last days, the pastors will cave to people with itchy ears and they only want to hear what they want to hear. And they protest and they leave because they're not hearing what they want to hear. There's a whole lot of doors here. I don't want anyone to leave. Man, I'm a gatherer. I want everyone to stay. I love everybody. But I have to love you enough to tell you the truth. Because as a spiritual leader, I have a responsibility. As a spiritual leader, I'm treated like a, like a spiritual parent in God's eyes. I have a responsibility for the people that God has put in my charge. And every single one of us have watched a parent love their kids so much they wouldn't tell them the truth, wouldn't discipline them, wouldn't correct them, wouldn't make them live with their mistakes, just, just fix the mistake, cover over it here, whatever, what, oh, little Johnny, you're so wonderful, you're so good. Yes, of course, your voice sounds good. You should totally try out for, for America's Got Talent. Oh, I'm sorry that Simon was so rude to you. He's such a jerk, but no, you actually can't sing. You're horrible. Your mother lied to you. She's a terrible mom. Guys, it starts with the truth. And if you're ever gonna be fine, you have to tell the truth to you. You have to, it starts with being honest with self. You have to be honest with yourself. For me to be driving in my car and tell Jennifer last night, God, I'm really nervous about this message, babe, because I'm not fine. I'm having imaginary conflicts. And in my imagination, I'm saying things that a pastor's not supposed to say to somebody. Not fine. Talking like I'm from New York. In my imagination, Izzy taught me some new words. I'm just kidding. Just joking, I'm just joking. So they talk in New York, I'm just kidding. We gotta be honest with self. Guys, your self-talk is so important. Your self-talk is so important. Uh, I, I listened to a podcast the other day of, of, a, of a, a, a very, very uh, well-known, extremely wealthy, successful artist. I, I mean, massively successful artist on any, on any scale. Famous, wealthy, uh, I mean, incredible. And the person literally says every morning when he wakes up, it, it starts every single day. You're horrible, you're worthless, you're worth nothing, you shouldn't even be alive. Every day this person deals with these voices telling them that they're horrible, they're worthless, they're no good, they never amount to anything. I mean, it literally lives in a cycle of self-talk, like, like a tape recorder on auto, telling them how horrible they literally fight their own internal voices all day long, and it doesn't matter how much this person has accomplished, they still live in the middle of that every single day. You have, you have literally an, an internal dialogue that happens inside of your, your own personal psyche. You only are aware of about, not, about 5%, at most, 5% of your, of your thoughts you're aware of. 95% of your thought life is automated and you don't even know it's happening. And it's only that 5% that you recognize that you can capture and control and if you're aware of a thought, God, I don't know about you, but I talk really bad to myself sometimes inside of my head. I'm hard on myself. 
in, in your self-talk, look, we need to be honest. If, if I'm blowing it, I need to be honest to say I'm blowing it. But I also need to find what, what I call new, true, positive realities because if we don't get our self-talk into a place that is honest and true, guys, that's the balance. Honest and true. That sounds like the same thing. But it's not necessarily the same thing. Because honest means that you're being open and you're trying to say, but guess what? Can I tell you? Honest means this, I'm, being, I'm open with how I'm feeling. But did you know that sometimes feelings aren't true? There was a time that Jennifer had a dream that I was unfaithful. And the dream was so real, she was mad at me for the next day. I'm like, babe, it was a dream. It was too real. <laughs> Your feelings, we can be honest about our feelings. But sometimes our feelings will lie to us. You got to be open. You got to be honest about your feelings. You have to. We got to deal with our feelings. I'm not fine. I'm dealing with this. But we also have to come to a place of focusing on and finding out what the actual truth is. Because it's a massive misconception. There's a phrase that people use, speak your truth. Just speak your truth. Guys, there's only one truth. His name is Jesus. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. Truth is not relative. That is a major problem in our world today. You don't get your truth and that person get their truth and this person get their truth. There's one truth, guys. There's only one truth. The word true means unchanging. That's the definition. Unchanging. If it can change, it's not true. If it's a circumstance, it's not true. If it's a feeling, it's not necessarily true. So you have to be honest and true. We've got to find the truth. What's really going on here? Because you can live in feelings that are toxic, they're paranoid, they're fear-filled, they're anger, they've got wrath. You can live in feelings and you can be open and honest about your feelings, but if you never dig in and find what's actually true, you're stuck. So David, last story. David literally was forged in crisis. David was an amazing warrior in scripture. He was a worshiper. He was literally, he was this warrior poet. He was a worshiper and he had this soft side, but he was fierce and, and ferocious and he was a mass murderer of people for God. It's a really wild story. I mean, one of the craziest stories, if you ever want to just, just have a really interesting story, sometime Google what David uh, paid for his first wife with and just read that story about the dowry and the bloodshed for David to pay for his first wife. This is a really strange individual, David. But he had a heart after God's own heart, which is interesting, according to scripture. There's no one else in scripture that's described as having a heart after God's own heart. David grew up in conflict. 
He had, a, he had brothers and a father that despised him, hated him, rejected him. Uh, he, he, he you know, finally started doing well, and he, and he started you know, getting some accolades, and then his king, Saul, turned against him, tried to kill him multiple times. He's running for his life. David, David lived in conflict. He had to run for his life and be alone and go to the cave of Adullam, uh, and, and there God would, would meet with him and then bring people to him, begin to build an infrastructure around him in his life. But David literally was born for conflict. That's what he, he existed to, to wage war and and bring peace through way of conflict. And David finds himself in a place in life where he's actually beat enough of the enemy that he can sit back and relax and enjoy his success a little bit. And the scripture says that when it was time for kings to go off to war, David sent his men off and he decided to chill out a little bit and sit back on his, on his patio and maybe have a glass of wine or something and check out the view and look out over his whole uh, surroundings and all that he'd accomplished and the city that he'd built and the kingdom. And he happened to look down and see a beautiful woman bathing on her Roof, And I don't know what that, if she was sunbathing, if they, did they take baths on the roof? That's kind of strange. I don't know. I mean, I've seen outdoor showers, but I don't know how that works. It's just kind of unique. But he sees this person, and even though he has a whole bunch of wives already, he says, I think I'll take that one too. I'm the king. Calls for her. It happens to be the wife of one of his top soldiers that was so faithful to David and so faithful to the kingdom that, that he wouldn't betray his own men. He, I mean, unbelievable faith, unbelievably faithful, this soldier. Well, David convinces Bathsheba to sleep with him. He gets her pregnant. Uh, she comes back and says, hey, by the way, I'm pregnant. David's like, oh, okay, let's fix this. And so his way of fixing this is bringing Uriah, the husband, home. Because if I can get this husband to just to come home, I mean, if he sees his wife, he's going to take care and cover this whole thing up and whatever. So he gets him to come. But Uriah is so honorable that he won't go into his own wife because he's got his men out there on the battle line. And I'm not going to do that when I've got men on the battle line. I'm going to go and, and what? no way. I'm not doing that. So David goes the next step, gets him drunk. Maybe if I get him drunk, then he'll take care of business and then he'll cover up my sin and whatever. You're even getting drunk. Uriah was too, was too faithful. Wouldn't do it. So David sends a message. Get this. Writes a message. Gives it to Uriah. Uriah carries his own death sentence back to the battle line. Instructions inside the letter. Uriah is carrying the letter, delivers the letter. Uh, general opens the letter, reads it, goes, hmm. <laughs> the guy that just gave you the letter, here's what I want you to do. Go into battle, go into the thick of the battle, and when it gets the, as hot as, as it constantly gets, pull back so that he dies. And that's what happened. David goes on about his merry life. Man after God's own heart. So Nathan, the king, the, the, the prophet shows up. Nathan shows up to him one day. And I'm going to read you this passage. This is 2 Samuel 12, verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David when he had came to him. He said, there were two men in a certain town. He begins to tell them a story. One rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, 
but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb he had brought. He had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his with him and his children. It, he shared his food with it, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one that had come to him. And David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, "As surely as the Lord lives, the man who." did this must die and pay for it four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And Nathan turned to David and said, you are that man. David, for the first time, was face to face with his own sin that he had thought he had covered up. The only person that knew, actually nobody knew, His general knew that he had called for this guy to get killed, but didn't know why. Nobody knew what David had done. But God knew. God sent a prophet to call him out. Now, the difference between Saul and David is that when they were called out, this is the secret. This is where you have and you see what a man after God's own heart looks like. When David was called out, he repented. Instead of self-righteousness, instead of deflecting, instead of denial, instead of blaming, what, uh, what having a heart after God's own heart looks like is this. You're right. I'm wrong. I've sinned. And you see in Psalm 51... If you've never read Psalm 51, I want to encourage you to read it. Psalm 51 is the psalm that David wrote that is the song of his repentance. And inside of that psalm, I want you to just see a little bit of the verbiage. Psalm 51 verse 1 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. One translation says, my sins are ever before my face. I don't know if you've ever lived in a place like that where your sin is in front of your face nonstop. Can I tell you that's exactly where the enemy wants you? He wants you living in a place of shame. He wants you living in a place of guilt. He wants you living in a place of condemnation. And the beautiful story is that Jesus came and paid a price so that you could have no condemnation when you live inside of Christ Jesus. No shame, no guilt. We, we repent, we receive forgiveness, and then we move forward. Does that mean that there are no ramifications for our mistakes? Oh no, there are. David had a hefty price that he would pay later. But God forgave him, continued to use him, continued to use him as the model, even though, even though he had literally not just committed adultery. Look, look, there are, there are a lot of people, many people that have committed adultery. Not as many people have covered over it by contracting a murder, right? So in the midst of that, David repents. And God used, look at this next language in verse 10. 
Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of salvation. David is literally having a renewed salvation moment after coming face to face with how wretched he had become. I'm not fine. Gotta be honest with yourself. Seek the truth. And then come to a place of repentance. We all have to tell the truth. Now, telling the truth is hard. And, and, and I want, we're gonna, we're, this is a multi-week deal. And we're going to get into some stuff next week that we won't take time getting into today. But the first place that you need to tell the truth is between yourself and God. David's journal is where he told the truth. He told the truth to Nathan when he was confronted. But it's his personal conversation with God. He told the truth with God. It's one of the most important things that happens, that you have moments of honesty, moments of truth, moments of being real. Can I tell you that my journal has moments in it that are so real and so raw, I don't want anyone else to see them. But I had to have those moments with him because I, I had to have real truth and real honesty with my God so that I could have healing. The Bible says if you'll confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. As long as you continue to cover over and blame and deny and lie and whatever, you can't have, A, you can't have healing, but even bigger, you can't even have forgiveness. Guys, that's the biggest thing is we have people that, that you may be in this room right now and you're terrible at forgiving other people. Terrible. There are people in this room right now that are horrible at saying sorry and love to hold grudges. People watching online right now don't think you're getting out of this. Terrible at saying you're sorry, would just rather move past it, never have to admit you're wrong, and hold grudges because somehow in a grudge, if I refuse to forgive that person, that means I have control of the strings. But the problem is, your own personal forgiveness from God has a contingency. Your forgiveness from God is contingent on your forgiveness to his kids. And if you don't forgive other people, you can't be forgiven. You can claim you're forgiven, but you can't actually receive forgiveness until you forgive other people. And guys, honestly, a lot of times it starts with forgiving yourself. We'll, we'll get into other people next week. Today, we gotta deal with ourselves. You gotta forgive you. Because if you live in the prison of unforgiveness towards yourself for the rest of your life, that's exactly where the enemy wants you. He can keep you powerless in that place. You gotta have moments of truth, moments of trust, moments of transparency with God. Moments of confession. And, and then you've got to move from that place, guys. And this is, I'm going to give you this one last point. You have to move from that place of, of facing the truth and facing that, that place of, of honesty with yourself, of admitting that you're not fine, admitting that you need his help, admitting that you need to get things right, admitting, guys, I, I, this, is a per, this is a work in progress for all of us. If you're looking for a place that has perfect people, keep looking. 
You're looking for a place that has perfect leadership? Please keep looking. You want a perfect pastor? I got a couple friends I can refer to you. We're all works in progress. But here's the number one truth that I'm gonna focus on with you today. The number one, the, the key that you need to work on. Okay, first this week, your homework is you need to get really, really real with God and tell the truth with God and be honest with God. It's in your journal. It's between you and him. And you've got to begin the healing process. You've got to begin the, the restoration process internally in your relationship with him. And then your goal from that is to actually hear and connect to what his truth is about you. Because the big key that you have to take away from that time, that place of openness and honesty with God, is that you hear his truth and you speak his truth. It's not about speaking your truth if your truth ain't his truth. It's only one truth. What does God say about you? The world wants to label you. The world wants you wrapped up in an identity that's a label that's temporary that will not exist in heaven. It will not exist in, in, in the everlasting. It will not exist in eternity. What does God say about you? What is God's truth about you? Your behavior? Let me tell you something. You are not your sin. Your identity is not your sin pattern. God has an identity for you. He has a truth about you. God has things he speaks over you and has spoken over you. And the number one thing that needs to change after you come from that place of honesty and come to that place of honesty is that you hear and learn God's truth. This is what God says about me. I'm going to walk in truth. This little process that I'm talking to you about, guys, this is how I, um, this is A, how I stay sane. Um, God is my therapist. Do I have other people I talk to? Yes, but only after I've talked to God. Uh, God, God is the one that I go to. He's my counselor. The Holy Spirit is our counselor, our comforter, right? And, and I go to God. I, I have a lot of, of habits that I am working on and trying to get better at. I'm not a perfect person, but I have one really, 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 really good habit. And that's that I go and spend time with Jesus on my bad days and on my good days. Yeah. I spend time with Jesus. And oftentimes on my bad days, I get more out of it than I do on my good days. Because God has a way of turning a bad day into a good day. But, but, but the bigger picture is this. Is this journal that you hear me talk about all the time? Hearing God's truth, holding on to God's truth, declaring God's truth, is how I build my whole life. It's how, we've, it's how God builds this church. And the beautiful announcement that I told you about, I'm gonna tell you about, I'm going to tell you about it right now. But it comes from this exact practice that I'm talking to you about today. In the midst of a place of crisis, I'm, I'm, I'm literally, I'm in the place of going back and forth. We're a, brand, we're a baby church. We're, we're not even, we're about, just about a year and a half old right now, a little over a year and a half old. And when this, the, the, 
coronavirus and the crisis and the pandemic started, we were just barely over a year old and we had a $3 million piece of property under contract. And, and I'm feeling the pressure of that. And I'm feeling very nervous about that. And I'm praying very intently, God, you got to speak to me. We can't afford to make a wrong move. We can't afford to make a wrong decision. And in the middle of my prayer time, the Lord said to me something very interesting and funny. He said, Joel, I have a surprise for you. Keep walking forward, keep taking every step, but I have a surprise for you. And instantly inside of my heart, inside of my spirit, I felt like that meant that God had a building that was gonna come available. And so I began to pray, I began to make phone calls, I began to look around, I'm just taking step by step by step, but I'm holding on to a truth that God spoke to me. I have a surprise for you. It's gonna blow your mind. And so, as we begin to walk through it, sure enough, we called our broker, Stan. Uh, I called him specifically about a specific building that he had mentioned to me over, uh, literally like three, when we were three months old, he had mentioned this building to me, but it wasn't available and it wouldn't come available for years. And when that, when that little thing dropped in my spirit, that building dropped, popped up in my mind. And I said, mm, I wonder, and I began to pester Stan over and over and over. And I mean, calling him, texting him, texting him, calling him, check on this, check on this, check on this, check on this, check on this. Sure enough, as the weeks began to play out, the building was coming available. Um, but the problem was, is that the owner of the building didn't want to sell it. He wanted to rent it. He wanted to rent it for five years and he wanted to rent it for a whole lot of money. And so I said, okay, Stan, here's the deal. We don't, we want to buy the building. Will he sell the building? I don't know. Maybe let's talk to him. We talked to him. God began to continue to work. So the interesting part of the story is, is that he was then open to sell the building, but he didn't want to sell it right now because the tax implications and all that kind of stuff. And he, so he wanted to wait a little bit. So he began to talk to us about an opportunity that maybe we could do a lease purchase. And you begin to lease the building for me. And I'll actually give you a portion, a significant portion of your lease. And I'll give that to you as principal equity in the building as if you've already bought it, but I'll give you an extra year to actually get the funds together to actually finally buy that because it'll be better for me and it'll be better for you because you're a young church and an extra year gives you the opportunity to get financing and to build your, your cash base and all this kind of stuff. And so God began to continue to work in this deal. And this week, we signed the paperwork for a beautiful building in McKinney, Texas that's just uh, a few miles from here right now. They're gonna put a picture up of it right now. And, and I'm gonna tell you, it doesn't look like a whole much right now. God is good. He's really good. So we have a lease purchase agreement for this building that we've signed. We get to renovate the building just enough to be able to get in it, move in it. And then we begin to go to work on buying it. It's gonna need probably $2 million of full renovations to make it look like just bam, beautiful, right? But I'm not willing to put that kind of money into somebody else's building that they own. So our first practice is going to be the discipline of getting it good enough for us to get into it, live in it, raise the money, buy it, and then we can do our renovations and all the final stuff like that because we'll put the money into what we own and the equity and all that kind of stuff. Now, the beautiful thing about this building, and you'll get to, and we actually take possession of this building on the 17th of this month. Uh, we've got some, isn't that amazing? We'll start the process. Lord willing, we'll be meeting in this building before the end of the year. 
um, just keep praying with us and, and, and asking for favor. We've got some really big meetings this week with the city inspectors and the fire marshal. Those are very important meetings uh, to work through. So pray for favor with the city inspector and the fire marshal for this week specifically. Uh, but God, literally, this four churches have looked at this building over the last number of years and wanted to buy it. We're the fifth. Five is the number of grace. God has a special grace on this church. There's a special grace on this church. And, and this, this whole thing is just, it's just too much of a miracle, guys. The, the, we're, gonna, we're gonna be in our home, have our own building in the process of closing to own it, but actually have our own building before we're even two years old. It does not happen for baby churches. It does not happen. This is an absolute miracle that God has done this. And I'm telling you this, the story, the reason I'm telling the story is because all of this, guys, everything that we're walking in, the whole way this church operates, the whole way, it's all about being honest with God hearing what he says and speaking his truth. That's the process, guys. Honest with God, real with yourself, hear from him, speak his truth. We're walking in his truth that he has spoken and then we have declared. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we wanna invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.